welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host this week. It's just me and Mike Leno, wrestling's premier photographer, Dr. Mike Leno. Um, so, yeah, after the chaos of last week and having uh, five different ho- uh, guests and hosts, um, it's just me and, and, and Mike this week. And Mike's a little under the weather, so it's going to be maybe a fast show, but uh, but we want to get his opinions and his thoughts on all the things that happening, happened in wrestling the last couple of weeks. So, uh, Mike, you want to, I guess, let's maybe start at the top, which was the uh, death of, of Terry Funk. And uh, what are some of your thoughts? Because I know you, you were very close to his career. Yeah, I made a lot of footage of him. Uh, one ECW show, but quite a few XPW shows when he wrestled uh, Sabu and Abdul the Butcher in main events, he's running around the ring at, at those, as well as, uh, oh gosh, some Joel Goodhart shows, like the one of the last uh, great Joel Goodhart Philadelphia TWA shows, where he was wrestling Kevin Sullivan and it went outside. And uh, in a lot of these videos, he's chasing me around the ring with uh, uh, the branding iron on fire lit. Never caught up with me, but... <laughs> It's good to have a lot of that stuff documented. I had brought him and uh, and Dory uh, at least once, maybe twice, to uh, the old show. Evan and I did Legends at uh, WBAI and Terry all by himself. Had a lot of uh, history, so I'm going to be talking about some personal experiences and then some good memories. He and the Funks came into Los Angeles the first time in 1969 during a brief territory war with Vern Gagne, partnering up with Jack Kent Cooke, who owned the Lakers and the uh, LA Kings hockey team and the Fabulous Forum. And much nicer venue than the old Dumpy, but we still loved it. You know, it, it was like, uh, it had been built in like 1920, 24 for those Olympics for boxing, the Olympic auditorium where Mike LaBelle was. And, uh, so the funks come in and, and so they have this territory war. the Olympic auditorium, they had their spectaculars every other Friday, whereas like Roy Shire had them every three to four weeks on Saturdays at the cow palace. And Sam Munchnik, the NWA president then who had a lot of clout everywhere. He sent in a lot of talent that the fans didn't know from other places to to really buttress up this this card. Like on one of them, the opening match was Pat Patterson, Ray Stevens against Don Leo Jonathan and King Curtis, then Prince Curtis Iakea, which would have been a main event in Hawaii and uh, just stacked cards. So the Funks, I mean, I'm talking all three, Dory Funk Sr., Dory Jr. and Terry, once Dory had won the world title from Gene Kanitsky. They come running down the aisle for one of those, it was called Save Our Sports. Mike LaBelle was trying to quickly defeat, and it only took two Vern Gagne shows that barely drew. And Gagne had some stacked cards, but anyway, so the Funks are running down to ringside with Terry yelling, we're here, we're here, we're finally in Los Angeles, because there had been a few vignettes that had come from Amarillo and Florida that Munchnik probably had sent in showing them you know, to get crowds interested in them, you know, other than those just reading the newsstand magazines. So I'll never forget that. And Terry was way ahead of his time. I'm sure maybe Evan last week, and you talked about this in terms of always reinventing himself. And I'm not just talking about the ECW 90s days. I'm talking about every time he came into LA from 1969 on, he changed his look and his outfit. Uh, He first came in with short bleach blonde hair, 
and then uh, let that go dark and sometimes it was curly and long and sometimes it was short and dark and then added in 19 uh, oh, probably 76 77 the uh, the beard you know the goatee and mustache he's always changing his look and uh, well like that came- was one of the things i was going to say about terry funk is he was one of those great like uh bridges between the late 70s type wrestlers and oh, then no, not 70s way before that he's so influential as everybody said i was re-watching and we'll talk about cm punk if i you know my voice holds out uh holding up that sign and doing it's right on uh, youtube really nice tribute at aew before he got fired uh to terry and you know uh getting the crowd of however many people it sounded like twelve to 14,000 chanting Terry, Terry, Terry. It was so influential. And, and it just, he only held the NWA title. I'm going to talk about that for just 14 months. And he came in soon after uh, to Los Angeles to defend against Chavo Guerrero, obviously senior, who was really hot. He was kind of had replaced Fred Blassie as our lead babyface and even Victor Rivera as our lead babyface. And he has, you know, one of his earliest title defenses after winning uh, the strap. Uh, and uh, I got him to pose downstairs in the Olympic Auditorium, you know, with the belt, with our old fashioned scale. A lot of those photos are online. I was the only one who, I guess, had the balls to go down there out of our three ringside photographers for the program. But I was also shooting for the magazines. You know, Theo Eret did as well. But uh he was obviously the more famous one but i shot terry down there holding i had a copy of the program from uh, uh where he won the title and then his first defense after i think pretty sure that was at st louis at keel auditorium and so he was and that was against harley race so he uh you know was messing around with the program holding it up uh, both the programs from uh, when he won the title and i think he won it was it jacksonville florida uh beating um jack briscoe no it was uh uh shit i can't find out what city it was in florida but it was a big deal and of interest if you remember the belt before flair's big gold belt was the belt that was given to jack briscoe when he defeated harley race you know in houston paul bosch and sam munching present him with this brand new belt and take away the classic luthez leather belt the black leather belt that had uh, been worn by Dick Hutton and Gene Kaniski and Dory Jr. And then Harley for that short uh, reign. And, and Jack Briscoe defeats Harley Race for the NWA title in Houston. Uh, and uh, and then they take that belt away. Now that belt, if you remember it, it had a big giant, like a globe dome in the center of it. And Terry pissed off Sam Munchnik by using it as a gimmick and kind of denting it in not even at a wrestling show. He was just messing with it at his house. And so he caught crap for that. And some speculate that's why he didn't get longer than, you know, like 14 months when he was such an wow. entertaining champion. He was different than any champion we'd had before because he was kind of doing hard, hardcore and chair shots. And that's what lots. I was saying. Yeah, that's what I was saying is that he went from that transition of the 70s, you know, type of, of hold and punch and kick type wrestling to, you know, the high flying to, you know, 80s and then, you know, the, the uh, uh, extreme hardcore stuff 
of the 2000s. And, I and say he was high flying because he never did. No, stuff. but he was he was so, there during that whole time. Just there during that. Yeah, he was there for all of those styles constantly, and he said many many times. Uh, that's why they sold the Amarillo territory. His dad purchased Dory Funk Sr., who was total, total legend. And uh, they sold it, I think it was 77, 78, to Blackjack Mulligan and Dick Murdoch, two West Texas state guys. Or as Terry said, Terry, like to rib all the people, including Teddy DiBiase and uh, Bro Bruiser Brody, Frank Goodish, and others. You know, that he was the only guy who graduated from West Texas State. A lot of guys claim they came from West Texas State, but he was implying they only spent a few months or were just on an athletic scholarship. They didn't take, you know, big time. No, he was definitely as Texas as they get. There's no. Definitely as Texas. And he brought that when he started, uh, for example, in uh, when he, he won our America's title the first time in uh, spring of 1973. He was underneath. He was in the opening match. It was like a tournament to decide who would win the winner of Victor Rivera, then America's champion versus the Sheik, Sabu's uncle. Uh, so we're talking hardcore again. And he's in the opening match at 10-minute Broadway with Jack Briscoe. And it was my grandfather went with me. I was taking pictures. He sat in the, the front row next to Mark Dawson. And uh, he... Uh, was blown away because Terry Funk was doing mad and chain wrestling. There was no punching during that match because Terry knew he had to keep up with Jack Briscoe. And I was so happy. I got to see, uh, that was the first time I got to see uh, those two go at it. And, and then he didn't even win that, but they said, uh, they just kind of ignored the fact and said he was the next challenger coming to, uh, because of the tournament, you know, so that's like a phantom tournament, but it's happening right in your own Olympic auditorium venue in Los Angeles. So he came and defeated uh, uh, Victor Rivera uh, for the America's Championship that year. And, and I think it was like March of 1973 and then dropped it back to Rivera. But he, in, in the year before, in one of the biggest uh, cards and main events, Terry and Dory teamed up, but they dropped what was, they were just brandly new created. They never defended them or had them before. They were called the International Championships. So the main event of that show was Dory and Terry dropping in a two out of three to Baba and Sakaguchi in, uh, gosh, this was like April of 1972 at the LA Olympic Auditorium. And we've been talking so long, you know, Evan and I on our show here with you about John Tolis. Uh, not only did Terry team up twice on our television with John Tolis as heels, uh, but also uh, on on that card, you know, underneath was uh, John refing Chris Tolis against superstar Billy Graham. People forget, too, that superstar Graham debuted the, uh, the tie-dye in Los Angeles. He came down from San Francisco where he was, uh, what was he called? Um, the heartbeat of America or something like that, the heart of America. And, but he was mostly wearing the leather chaps jacket that he had sort of debuted with Dr. Jerry Graham in 1970 in LA and got sent to Stu Hart for training. But anyhow, uh, Billy took a liking to Terry and Terry also liked the fact that this guy could talk. So there was a, a camaraderie in the back between Terry Funk, John Tolis, superstar Graham. We're talking total legends, Killer Kowalski, Ernie Ladd, uh, Dory Dixon, who was one of those Jackie Robinsons of, of wrestling, who Terry Funk really 
loved. Dory Dixon was part of that group of Bobo Brazil, Bearcat Wright, Sweet Daddy Seeky, Sailor Art Thomas. Those were our Jackie Robinsons uh, of wrestling after, uh, at least in the 50s, 60s TV era. So Terry got in all that trouble when he won the hand to strap and kind of damaged the belt to where Flair and Dusty complained about it. And Flair eventually got his wish for a brand new title. You know, they did away with the Terry Funk damage. They never did fix it. If you look like at uh, the various times Harley and Dusty would trade it, that belt with the, the big dome, not the big gold belt, the Flair, you know, 10 pounds of gold NWA belt. Uh, you see that. No, the, the one that, that, that was kind of uh, shaped kind of like a. Uh, it was a circle. It was like a globe, sort of a, a part of a globe. But it was like dented in. You could just see it. And, and Terry Funk said that was from effing around with it. Uh, I'm just going to throw out casual memories, too. Uh, Terry and Dory came out to work for Roy Shire. But Terry never defended, sadly, the NWA championship for Shire at the Cow Palace. But the very last few months... I was going to say that Terry Funk did not really come to Northern California very often. I he don't... came at the end. See, uh, Roy Shire had lost his ability to use his TV. First in Oakland, he lost that in 1970. Then around 77, 78. And then he had to go to Don Owen for Portland TV, then Kansas City to Geigel. And then the last was Florida with Eddie Graham. And so Eddie Graham, for every one of those last three cards, the last one being Roy Shire's very last card, sent in the Funk Brothers. And the very last Roy Shire Battle Royal, pretty sure it was, I always mix up it was 81 or 82, but I think it was January of 82. Uh, Terry was one of the last guys in the ring for the Battle Royal, which was the opener. We can talk about that on another show. But the... Uh, he was one of the last guys in the ring, with, eventually with uh, Pat Patterson, who we very seldom ever was in the ring with. Dick Slater and, uh, let's see, it was Dick Slater and, and, and Dusty, who was well, our... From that, that, yeah. from that point on, though, he did not come to Northern California in the 80s. I don't remember ever That's seeing him. WWF stuff. Yeah, I don't ever remember him being on any cards. In, in... But he was on the very... And prior to that, he was on Roy Shire's uh second to last battle royal we'll say january of 81 uh where he and dory teamed up with a haystack calhoun trainee of theirs from amarillo this guy who you would hear roland alexander talk about a lot t john thibodeau against listen to this bruiser brody gene kaniski and easy ed wiskowski from kansas city but ed wiskowski huge in portland and he later became colonel de beers but just seeing funk the Funks, particularly Terry, lock up with Bruiser Brody and Gene Kaniski. I mean, that was about as good as it got for us back in that period. Another big thing was in Honolulu. Uh, it was, I think it was 73 for Ed Francis, who was former wrestler promoter. Terry Funk in the main event, just double juice, juice all over the place. Texas Deathmatch, it was mostly held outside the ring with the Sheik. Terry Funk in the main event on that one. Uh, there was a battle royal that had Andre and Giant Baba, the first time they ever met anywhere, you know, backstage, of course, before uh, they they got into the ring in front of the fans. Ray, Ray Stevens and Pat Pat, or excuse me, Ray Stevens and Nick Bachwood were defending the AWA straps, which they brought against Pedro Morales, who wore his Tri-WF belt to the team with Bobo Brazil. I mean, the card was just stacked from top to bottom. I think the opening match was Lonnie Main, Moondog Main against... 
uh, Neil Moscaris opening match. But uh, it, it was just big, big, big stuff. Terry had, uh, you know, of his numerous retirements, uh, I spent uh, just one night at the Double Cross Ranch, but he picked me up in his pickup truck at the uh, airport in Amarillo for what he was calling. And, you know, we'd all heard this before, you know, his millionth retirement, but he called it Russell Fest in 1997. And uh, 50 Years of Funk was the subtitle for it. He, of course, was claiming that, you know, his tri-dub or his WWF title uh, challenge against Bret Hart was going to be his very last match. He bled buckets in that match and Bret pinned him cleanly. Uh, I don't think Terry submitted. I think it was just a pin. And uh, the whole ECW crew came out. Paul Heyman like booked the show prior to the show. I was there taking pictures before they let any fans in hours before. He got all of the talent. There was talent from FMW. There was Takamichi Noku there. There was Vic. Victor Quinones and his guys from his hardcore promotion in Japan and Puerto Rico, just a wealth of talent. Uh, some uh, Japanese women who opened the show. It was a tag match. I forget if they were women from Onita's FMW, but all of these Japanese promotions and Japanese wrestlers and the, the twin headhunters, the Puerto Rican headhunters who were spectacular. Jake Roberts teamed up with the headhunters. Uh, just spectacular. And Terry had a, a, a private barbecue. I, I think it was it was the, the next day because that show went kind of late. The next day at the ranch, just for the, the you know, the, the boys, there were a couple of fans, not a lot. And they were all they all had to be invited. But I took a lot of pictures of the ECW talent like Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten and Paul Heyman fishing. You know, they're just wearing uh you know just funky clothes, whatever, sweats, and they're fishing in one of Terry and Vicky's uh, streams on this massive piece of property. So there really was a double cross ranch. You know, it sounded fictitious, like it was a gimmick or a work, but it was not. Another thing with Terry, uh, I shot him and purposely posed him with his longtime wife, Vicky Funk, uh, the same pose like every year uh, at Cauliflower Alley or the one time he went to Red Bastine's Texas shootout reunion in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, or at their home, but every year I tried to get the same pose to show them over the years as this important couple because Vicky had put up with a lot of Terry's stuff being away and you know all the bullshit that comes with being a wrestler's wife one has to put up with or a spouse. But um, she so like at the Cauliflower Alley in '91, uh, which was a very important one. He got an award. He was. Award guy. He got the uh, Iron Mike Mazurki Award because Mike had just passed. So they created this award for somebody who had gone beyond pro wrestling into film. And we all know Terry's great film work, um, you know, Roadhouse and uh, Paradise Alley, which was not his, one of two movies he did with Sylvester Stallone. He did the other one, I think it was the arm wrestling one. Over uh, the with, top. Yeah, over the top. Right. That was later. The Paradise Alley came first. Right. And I love that one because there's one scene where uh, uh, Kid Salami, who's some actor playing Sylvester's brother, not Sylvester wrestling, but he's hip tossing these guys. And there was a parade of guys, Chavo, Roddy Piper, Kaniski, Killer Carl Cox, uh, Dick Murdoch, I believe. He's hip tossing all these guys. There were a ton of wrestlers in that movie that Terry recommended and, and got in there. And so at the 1991 Cauliflower Alley, where he's getting this award for you know, transcending wrestling into acting, uh, film and TV. 
he takes his shoe off and only people that would have, you know, 60s people like myself would know get smart. He picks up his shoe, it actually is his boot, and he starts talking into it like Maxwell Smart, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a boot phone. And he's talking to Dory Funk Sr., his father, his legendary father in heaven. And uh, it was really emotional. Uh, Vicky cried big time. Um, at his WrestleFest, it was an honor to finally get to meet Dory Funk Sr.'s widow. Forget if her name was Alice, something like that. But I have a, just a poster with the Funk Brothers and with Heyman and all the ECW crew, everybody. And uh, was a big deal meeting her because, you know, she was the matriarch of that family. And uh, Dory Sr. had done all of this charity work and she had helped him every step of the way. So she was kind of in the office that way, the Amarillo office. And uh, it was just, you know, magic. And he, uh, so I'm jumping around a little. It's like either 92 or 93 at... Uh, this was called the Wrestling Flyer Convention. We didn't really have, you know, there were tons every month of wrestling fan fest or conventions, and this was a big one. Uh, Terry was there. There was the Road Warriors, uh, Hellwig, Ultimate Warrior, Kerry Von Erich, uh, Nancy Sullivan, uh, and I think Kevin came. And um, uh, the, the promoter of this thing, who went on to become a big like NFL TV guy in the Philly, Jersey area, he gave me a room, but it was like, a mile down the road, you know, I was his event photographer for it. So Terry said, hey, this guy gave me a, a big giant two and a half bedroom suite. So he gave me a, a room. I got to room with him uh, there just for a night. And then I anyway, got to stay at the Double Cross Ranch and uh, actually eat in there and take a ton of photos and uh, was on the road just twice with Terry at uh, Calgary for a similar event to WrestleFest. Uh, Terry and Dory came in. It was Stu Hart's 80th birthday. I'll never forget the date because I was the event photographer hired by Bruce and Ross Hart for that thing, uh, December 15th, 1995. And WWF sent people, WCW sent people. Uh, there were some guys from ECW, but the Funk Brothers wrestled uh, Brian Pillman and Bruce Hart, who were classic, classic stampede, uh, you know, title holders there. And they had a feud with the Funks, and this was like the last time they ever battled. And it was an amazing card, capped by a British Bulldog against uh, challenging uh, Brett on top, and then uh, Owen challenging Razor Ramon underneath that for the IC title, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, Norman the Lunatic was, I think, still wrestling for WCW, and he came in as his uh, mock and sing gimmick. I think Gary Albright was there as the other sing brother. Um, amazing stuff and I remember Terry pulled some kind of rib uh, I'm really not supposed to repeat it on uh, uh, one well, now the statute of limitations has run out on on that I think you can relate to it because well you know, oh, I promised Terry but he uh, <coughs> yeah, yeah, the statues of run out on that it was Sean Waltman who shaved off the uh, or, or cut off the uh, the pigtail of Michael P.S. Hayes on that flight from hell but uh, Terry shaved off a good chunk of uh, Sean Waltman's eyebrow when he was asleep. He was in this big giant chair at the hotel uh, where everybody was coming in. And, uh, and Sean Waltman and uh, Razor Scott Hall, there weren't any fans there, thankfully. But they're, uh, 
you know, they're crashed next to each other in together in this big chair. And Terry just went right up there and shaved part of his eyebrow off. I'm going to have to tell Sean a reminder about that. Hmm. Um, so just a lot of good memories of Terry Funk. Um, I heard Bray Wyatt. I was happy to hear that he was quite a fan of Terry Funk, as everybody should be. And uh, I, I was surprised. I was unhappy at the beginning of that uh, SmackDown when I thought all they're going to do is show a footage montage for Bray Wyatt and not Terry. But they did a nice one after uh, Cody Rhodes' uh, talk. Uh, they didn't have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, they had some Florida footage, but they didn't really have Terry as NWA champion. Uh, they had a little bit of it, I think, when he won the title. But not as much. But, hey, we'll take whatever we can get. They did a nice tribute to both gentlemen. Uh, Bray, only 36, you know, had a massive creative uh, capability. And uh, I think CM Punk has kind of that, but not to that degree at all. But I think he has a good mind for the business. So that's where I see, you know, now we're morphing now to CM Punk getting shit canned uh, after the incident at All In in England before the show even started. And I don't know how it happens in real time that the sheet people that Sean Ross Lavitt, I think it was him who first reported it before Samoa Joe and CM Punk even hit the ring. You know, the, the incident, the alleged incident with CM Punk and uh, 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 what's his face? Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. Um, so I don't think uh, other than getting a little suspension from TV, I think Jack Perry stays, you know, um, there was footage. Uh, I apologize. I, I must have caught a, a bad cold. I have been taking uh, COVID tests. I'm negative, uh, and I don't even get around. Well, to I couldn't catch it from you anyway. Even even as it is a computer virus, maybe, but not. This is one no. way I can talk with you. But and, I, I, I just I, I I don't know where why I've never caught a cold in like August, September, and fall. You know, usually not until. Yeah, but the weather's totally changed. I mean, you you guys just went through a hurricane. You know, uh, kind of that weird storm, but you know, it's been super hot. It's just been humid. Uh, and uh, one thing I remember about the at the Terry Funk Ranch was just a nice, warm breeze, but it was really nice. I'll have to dig up that program on a, a subsequent show, the whole Russell Fest. He did a nice job. I think Vicky uh, worked with the, the print people to make that program up. Uh, also, on that card was the only time ever Dory Funk Jr. wrestled Rob Van Dam and Rob. You know, if you listen to Bully Ray or Bubba Ray or Taz talk about his kicks, he was very stiff. He kind of potatoed Dory, who had this big egg on his head. And I had a ton of photos of that while I was shooting the match. But, you know, he was so apologetic in the back afterwards. And uh, it was a, a hell of a card. You know, there was uh, Ricky Romero came out with his sons. Ricky Romero used to wrestle and promote some towns like in Colorado for the uh, Dory Funk Sr. Amarillo promotion. But he came out with his two surviving Youngblood sons. And, uh, you know, the one that passed away was the fantastic one, a team with Ricky Steamboat to great acclaim in Mid-Atlantic. And uh, that was on the card. So it's like anybody that had any history. And it was the only time that I got pictures of Jake Roberts and his brother, Sam Houston, with their father. You know, we didn't know about the scandals then with uh, Grizzly Smith. And uh, sadly, Rock and Robin was not at that show, but she was at some CACs where I posed her with Sam and Jake. But I would have loved to have had the four of them. You know, now with what we know from that dark side of the ring, 
maybe it was for the better. But yeah, minus Grizzly. Yeah, but was... Terry was so happy the show came off without a hitch. Uh, he was just smiling from ear to ear at the barbecue at the Double Cross Ranch and seeing everybody enjoy themselves. I mean, I think I've got a photo of like Francine even fishing and uh, Tommy Dreamer was there. And I got in one shot when the uh, sunset was happening behind them, you know, I perfectly timed it. I got Candido, Sabu, Van Damme, Taz, and one other to all do their, the other person's gimmick, you know, like Taz pointed up at the sky, like imitating the Sheik and Sabu. And, Sabu was doing like the Candido, no gimmicks needed. Uh, so some of these pillars of uh, ECW and uh, I mean, everybody, Terry's two daughters were there in the ring when, you know, Paul was going over the order of the matches and, you know, who was going over and blah, blah, blah in the center of the ring with all the talent in there. And it was just incredible. So Terry Funk's life was incredible. Uh, I know everybody's talking about, you know, the great memories of the stuff he did. He was the first guy to uh, uh, do that uh, pile driver on Flair through the table in 1989 after uh, Flair uh, had the series with Steamboat, the incredible five-star series, and then had an even more incredible match, if that's possible, with Terry Funk uh, with, I think, the other... Yeah, the I Quit, leading up to the I Quit match, you know, which probably is... The quintessential I quit match in wrestling. I think when people talk about, you know, what what is the greatest I quit match that's ever happened, I think people would say Flair versus Funk. That's the first one and only one in my mind. Because otherwise, a lot of the I quit matches, the the ending is all screwed up and, and derivative. Yeah, you know, um... well, especially because that was sixty minutes. It was you know two of the true legends. Of the of of the art, you know that 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 really knew how to you know draw out a match without it being boring, you know to have a sixty minute match and nobody's ever going to chant, you know, you know, yeah. boring to it. Nobody did. That was Flair, you know, at his his peak. Terry, who was kind of always at his peak, you know, people say, oh, that match in the nineteen eighty nine. Well, gosh, if you saw him. Some of the matches I saw, him against Rocky Johnson at St. Louis at Keel and against Harley and a tag match, which is on tape. It's on YouTube. The Funk Brothers against Jack Briscoe and Gene Kaniski from Wrestling at the Chase Television, free TV. People were going out of their minds for that at the time. So many great matches from every era. And like even in the 60s, Terry was great. The late 60s, you know, he came, uh, followed Junior, obviously, uh, but... Wow. And then, and then he fought every style of wrestler you could possibly fight. You know, he fought... Carpentier, who was a flyer, he fought Moscaris many times, like Houston, major flyers, but he fought the Matt and Chain guys, the guys who were adept at everything, like a Harley race. Big uh, bruisers, too, you know. Yeah, um, Johnny Valentine, he had wars with Johnny Valentine at Kiel Auditorium. And uh, just... Uh, Dusty, uh, obviously, his... his Noki too, before yeah. they split up and Noki went his way or got canned from JWA and, and then formed December 72, New Japan. And Baba used the Funks, and I know Evan probably said this last week, they were the first gaijin or foreign wrestlers from the U.S. to be babyfaces for all Japan for Giant Baba. Which was no, a we huge... didn't mention that, but now we have. 
Yeah. So it's good to, you know, so, always have you know, Because all of the Gaijin foreigners from uh, Thez to Andre is giant, uh, or Monster Rusimov in like 69, uh, Gotch, you know, they were all heels until the Funks came in and just everybody loved them. And, you know, and I'm talking Blassie and King Curtis and Abby and all of, you know, the groups that went through Japan. But I think Japanese fans have a special heart. As you know, depending on your country, everyone should have. So let's give a, a couple minute tribute to Bray Wyatt, too. I mean, the passing of Bray Wyatt is significant just in the fact that, you know, it's more the loss of potential. We we did see a lot of him in some great matches, but I think after that initial run with the Wyatt family. Well, that was him at his best. You know, we yes. were there and uh, our friend Marcus Mack was... Uh, one of the guys for Rusev in, at that WrestleMania at San Jose. He was one of the guys that was, I think, masked behind the tank at uh, Levi Stadium. And I, I'm going to have to cut cut off in about two minutes. My voice is really it's hard to talk. But uh, that was him at his peak. I didn't like the later stuff, but I saw how brilliant he was. And then the very last thing he did, coming through the door, totally different music, acting like he was shooting with the audience. You know, this is the real me after the... I, I didn't get into the Fiend character, particularly after this. No, I don't think anyone, I mean, yeah, maybe kids did, but it was not something that was that over. You know, it, it had its audience. I just wasn't a particular fan, you know, and then burning him and all the goofy stuff with Randy Orton. and uh, Yeah, and that's the whole thing. He really didn't go out on, on a... Uh, on a high note, you know, and, and the, the, I think that he was getting ready for another good run if the WWE had figured out how to implement him. And I think that from what everything I've heard, you know, if the WWE... I, I think he was just sitting, though, on the shelf. I, yeah. I if the WWE had given him a little yeah. bit... Yeah, they, they, weren't, they weren't about to use him, so... You know, I, I was, know it's 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 a real shame because I think if the WWE had given him a little bit more creative control over, and I know they don't do that at all with anybody. That was because of Hunter. The only he got rehired, he'd been let go, yeah. but he thought he was going to go to AEW. Yeah, yeah, and may, of course now AEW has its own problems. Although I guess they 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 they're well, minus a star they, now. Have a tough guy of talent relations. Bully Ray said this many, many times. You need a tough guy like a Jim Ross to be the first one they see when they come back. They don't see Tony Khan after a match saying, Great match, so and so, you know, blah, 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 really supportive. No, they needed Jim Ross to tell them how they effed up, what they did right, and to be 100%, you know, straight with them about their strengths and weaknesses. They need a you know, talent guy who's been in the biz or involved in the biz like Jim Ross has for decades. Uh, so things like this don't happen, and it's not like a, a brand-new promotion having honeymoon headaches. Tony doesn't need that. He can focus on his booking and his have, whether it's a Jim Ross or you know, a Dean Malenko type or Jerry Lynn, somebody like that that handles the talent. But God bless... Uh, Wyndham Rotundo, very unique, third generation. You know, his uncle was Barry Wyndham, uh, who is, you know, he's got that name, that Wyndham Rotundo, the last name of, of that family, the Wyndham family, Bob, uh, obviously Blackjack Mulligan, and, and his two sons, Barry and Kendall. And uh, and, and the daughter, too, was a, a lady wrestler for a time. His mother, Bray Wyatt's mother, uh, was like a Native American wrestling, female wrestling character. 
but God bless him. And, uh, and then the CM Punk thing, well, you know, uh, peace be with him wherever he goes. Very entertaining guy. Uh, brought a lot to AEW as he did to WWE, but uh, lots of headaches. And um, Yeah, I don't know if there's ever been a wrestler who's burned so many bridges in the history of wrestling. I don't think he burned any bridges in Ring of Honor. Uh, Well, I guess. uh, If you piss off AEW now, you've you've ruined your chances to do anything in Ring of Honor, too. I don't think anybody's going to hire him after that high profile of a thing. But he was on a number of Pittsburgh-based, and I came in to shoot them, uh, Norm Connors, IWC shows. You know, he did uh, like an hour Broadway, or I think he went over... Oh, gosh. The, the guy who was Kings of Wrestling with uh, Claudio Castagnoli, um, his name is escaping me right now. And he was in developmental NXT forever. Chris Hero, who should never, he should have been put on the main roster. Such a great talent. But he has, you had all those matches with him and with the guy um, who now is Corey Graves, but that was his uh, Sterling James Keenan, whatever his character's name was. He had a bunch of matches. Uh, with and then teaming up with CM Punk and Norm Connor's promotion. Uh, and another thing, CM Punk was in the main event at the very first WrestleCon, where I was the event photographer for that. Uh, the very first one, 2005 Tampa, it was CM Punk with Abby and Kevin Sullivan against Mick Foley, Dusty, Dustin Rhodes. And uh, there were some... Uh, I think Kevin Sullivan kind of came out to manage the heels and got involved with that. But CM Punk with his idols, and I rode back with him. Uh, I was hoping to to go to that CAC last week in Vegas, but uh, to to gab with him, but to uh, you know say, hey, do you remember back in 2005 we rode back from WrestleCon to Hampton Airport, and he was just talking about his reverence for like all these things that he saw there. You know the Funks, Briscoes. Bobby Heenan, Pat Patterson, everybody, and uh, really a great student of the game. So, uh, God speak to those three. Love Terry Funk, Bray Wyatt too, particularly the uh, uh, you know the, the initial run. Uh, I, you know, we're talking about all that magic, and then uh, and then CM Punk too. You know, wish only the best for him. I was hoping he would behave himself, and his wife AJ Lee uh, would come in and do something maybe behind the scenes with the women or in ring. But anyway, Russ, I've got to go. My throat's pretty sore right now, but Godspeed to all of them. And uh, I hope AJ Mendes, you know, she just quit. Wow. Uh, after its latest season on syndicated CBS affiliates. Uh, so I, I hope she gets some work. You know, maybe now she can support uh, uh, him for a while. Yeah, and then we have these other celebrity deaths like Jimmy Buffett, you know, died this week, that too. That was hard because uh, they're marketing the, the the homes, you know, the townhouse condo, big Margaritaville thing that uh, he was selling and, and built. So I had no idea he had skin cancer. He was battling for four years. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a rough year for deaths. And uh, Reminds but, me a lot of 2020 and 2016, you know, where a lot of celebrities just up and died you know and, and some some you expect like tony bennett wasn't you know a, a huge shock and 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 uh bob barker wasn't a huge shock but, uh, you but know. still you hate losing a guy with uh, those chops i mean i go back so far i was watching him host on the nightly he was on channel 11 in la 
truth or consequences way before uh, uh, let's say or, uh, the price is right you know on, on CBS and uh, he was a big deal I mean he was host of that thing for I forget how many years many many years and then you know the legendary run on price is right so great great guy television city we went to some of those tapings uh, price is right and uh, guy was a, a total class gentleman and I like the fact that he was always for animals and uh, you know spadering and neutering but, neutering, but saving uh, dogs and cats absolutely so. absolutely all right well hopefully you're feeling better next week and we'll have you on for the full length of the show but but it's good to get your thoughts on uh, Terry and Bray and and CM and, and I, so I forth. urge people go back and, and look at any 70s Terry Funk whatever you can get your hands on particularly the Brist or the Funk Brothers the Briscoe Brothers uh, any of that great stuff because uh, just magic and you know most of you guys hopefully have seen the 80s and 90s stuff but go back to the 70s start there uh, I don't think there's any there's really no Amarillo TV to my knowledge up there if somebody finds it Please give us a shout here, and uh, hopefully I'll be back in better place next week. All right. Adios, and, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Good night, everyone. Ate curasa, everybody. <laughs>